So, all right, grab your Bibles, grab your your phones, your iPads. We're going to jump in here this morning. We're starting a new series. Last week, we finished up our series called Ghost Stories. If you've been tracking along with us, you know that that we've been kind of just doing some short series, uh, three and four week series, and and we're doing that intentionally as we come to the end of the year. There's some things that we we want to kind of get out. We want to prime the pump so that you'll study some things, that you'll look at some things, you'll engage with some some things, you'll you'll self-feed from the Scripture, uh, and you'll receive for yourself the the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And and now today we're going to start a section of Scripture from Matthew chapter five verses six and uh, Matthew chapter five six and seven called the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? All right. Well, good. Well, good. I'm glad we want you to um, we want you to know about this. What's going on here? And we're titling this series called Game Changer, okay? Game Changer. So while you're turning there to Matthew's chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be at today. How many people know what a game changer is, right? A game changer is somebody, uh, something, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an act, it's an event or a person that all of a sudden, momentum is going in one direction, uh, things are heading in one direction, and something happens, you know, somebody gets that hit, somebody makes that play, somebody, uh, some event takes place, and all of a sudden, momentum changes. Things that were going in one direction, all of a sudden, is going in a whole different direction. Amen? Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh yeah, that's the Houston Astros, they're the game changer, right? Well, that was great. But can I tell you who the greatest game changer in the history of the world was? His name is Jesus. And we're going to take a look it's some of the ways that he changed the game of life today. Amen? Are you there? How many people are in Matthew chapter 5 ready to go? All right. When you turn to Matthew chapter 5, let me uh, set the stage just a little bit. Matthew uh, tells us in Matthew's chapter 3 and chapter 4, it tells us that Jesus had just began his ministry. He um, was 30 years old. Just out of curiosity, any 30-year-olds in here? Somebody who's just 30 years? Okay, a couple of 30-year-olds here. That's a great age to be, right? 30 years old, Jesus is starting his ministry. And um, he goes out and he finds his cousin, John the Baptist. He gets baptized. When he's baptized, we know the, the event that took place. Baptism's a great thing. Hope everybody's been baptized. If you haven't been baptized, let us know. We'd love for you to be baptized. Jesus gets baptized. The heavens open. God speaks. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything yet. I love that section of scripture. He hadn't healed a person. He hadn't preached a sermon. He had done nothing yet. And God looks down at him and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know what? Can I tell you what I believe today? I believe God's looking down at some people and he's saying, that's my beloved son. That's my beloved daughter. Man, I am well pleased in them. I'm well pleased. Yeah, but we're not fulfilling all those things that our ministry's not. Hey, can I tell you? God is well pleased in you because he's our heavenly father. Amen? So so Jesus gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then he goes out. Chapter 4 tells us that he goes out, and he begins, okay, his ministry. Now, you would think with some great event like this baptism taking place that the immediate thing that would happen, he'd start having healing campaigns, he'd start setting up a Bible school and all this kind of stuff. But the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 4 that the first thing that happened was that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
So for 40 days, he's out in the wilderness and he's being tempted. And can I tell you that in the midst of his temptations, you know what he's doing? He's kicking the devil's butt every time. Time after time after time, he's defeating Satan. He is completely showing his lordship. He's how supreme he is over every temptation and trial of the devil. Let me mention this. Sometimes I know we're walking filled with the Spirit, and we think, hey, if I'm, if I'm walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and I'm serving God, I'm never going to have a problem. I'm never going to have an attack. Look, that's just not going to happen. The enemy, even though he's defeated, he just hasn't given up, and he still comes to attack. He still comes to try to, to tempt and to try us, but can I tell you that every temptation gives us the opportunity for victory in Jesus' name. That's for you this morning, for you to know that God wants you to be victorious. So Jesus is victorious, he overcomes the devil, and then he starts his ministry. He goes around, the end of chapter four tells us that he goes around and he is teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching about the kingdom of God and, and as he's preaching and as he's teaching, they're bringing to him people that are sick with sicknesses and infirmities and disease and, and he's healing everybody that they bring to him. There are people that are filled, demonically oppressed, filled with the, the devil, and, and all of a sudden, and with these, these demons, and Jesus is casting the demons out. That's no surprise. He just, he just defeated their, uh, their leader. He, no problem dealing with them, right? So Jesus is preaching the kingdom, and he's demonstrating the kingdom, and crowds begin to follow. Crowds from all over the area, from miles and miles away, begin to follow, and, and here is where I think Jesus does something very interesting. He takes this whole crowd, all of these people, and he says, hey, I want you to come close. I'm going to go up here on the side of the mountain, and you guys come close and sit down because I want to teach you now, not just about what can happen to you, but can, what can happen in you when we talk about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is beginning to show how much of a game changer he is. He's changing the people's focus. He's changing their expectations. And he's changing the experiences of people. So we get to chapter 5. And if I can encourage you this morning, just do that. Kind of, kind of press close. Kind of press close and say, Jesus, hey, if you're teaching, I want to know what it is that you're saying. You see, Jesus was inviting people not to settle for the minimum life of the law and of the flesh, but to settle for the, to, to seek after the limitless life of the kingdom of God. And he begins in Matthew chapter 5. Everybody in Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, says this. It says, In seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. Okay, so Jesus is opening up his mouth and he's beginning to teach them that, remember, this is the very people who had experienced healings and they'd been set free from demonic oppression, the people that had seen miracles, they'd, they, they'd seen these things take place. And Jesus says, hey, come here, come here, come close, because I, I don't want you, again, let me say it, I don't want you just to get fixated on what can happen for you. I want you to seek after what can happen in you and what can happen through you. And can I tell you, that's a good word for us today. When it comes to living for Jesus Christ, so many times I think we can be people who just go to him for what he can do for us. 
And God says, greater than what I can do for you is what I can do in you and what I can do through you. And that's his intentions. So he begins to to show them that there's a higher, there's a brighter, there's there's a better way to live. He's changing the game. See, Jesus isn't going to give them just an expanded set of rules and and regulations. He's he's not just going to tell them, here's more boxes that you need to check to be good people or to be able to do good things. He's not giving them more sources to exhaust them and to to frustrate them. They'd already experienced that. They were living under the law. Anybody remember ever heard of anything called the Ten Commandments? Okay, that could be part of the problem right there. So, <laughs> no, he said, he said, it's not just about checking off the boxes. It's not just about, about going through the motions. Jesus says, I want to show you what you can be, not just what can happen to you. As a matter of fact, if we looked at the very end of chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus kind of goes through, he goes through the Beatitudes, he goes through all these teachings, and, and then he comes down here to verse 48, and, and he kind of sums up the teaching which I think is interesting. Here's what he says in verse 48. He says, just be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Now, now I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting there listening to Jesus teach and I'm going, oh man, that's good. Beatitudes, yeah, man, salt and light, that's good. Oh yeah, man, all these other. And then he finally, he says, and here it is, guys. Here's the secret. Just be perfect. I don't, how many people go, I'm not sure you're talking to me, Jesus. I mean, really? You want me to be perfect? And Jesus isn't saying, I want you to be perfect. What he's saying is that when my power and my presence and the Holy Spirit and your focus on the kingdom is working in you, then you will be like your father. And that perfection's not a goal, perfection's your destiny. Amen? It really really is. So Jesus is saying, you can keep the, the letter of law of the law in your actions but your heart can be far from the letter, but, but far, far from God, far from fulfilling the law. See, that's how people, that's how religious people had lived for a long time. Oh, we've got all these things to obey, but we're not really honoring God and focusing on God in our hearts. And Jesus says, let's change that. And so the way he does that is he focuses on five, five specific areas, five areas. And we want to talk about those today. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, I know we're skipping over the Beatitudes, but let me encourage you, in, instead of reading, if you've ever read the Beatitudes there, where Jesus, um, you know, blessed are, and then, and then you think, oh, okay, now I've got to be pure in heart, I've got to be righteous, I've got to be this, I've got to be that. Instead of reading it as a list of have-to-dos, can I encourage you to, li- to, to receive it as a word of prophecy over your life that says, this is what you will be? That when you seek the Lord with all of your heart, when you walk with Jesus, when you have the Holy Spirit filling your life, that you will be pure in heart and you will be merciful and you will be gracious. And because of that, the blessings of God are going to rest upon your life. They're going to work in your life and they're going to work through your life for the benefit of others. Amen? So here in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. He says this. He says, you have heard it said... You have heard that it was said that you shall not murder. Remember, we mentioned this a minute ago, the big 10, right? The 10 commandments. Thou shalt not murder. How many people would agree you shouldn't murder? All right. Uh Uh-oh. So, okay. Well, 
Yeah, let me just go in case you don't, don't murder, okay? <laughs> no murderers, all right? But Jesus then goes on and he says, but I say to you, here he's changing the game, right? You've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm saying to you that whoever is angry with his brother, do, do you see the difference? How many people do you know that can carry anger in their hearts? And, and man, I may not murder them, but boy, I can really hate them in my heart. I can angry. I can, and Jesus is saying, hey, well, listen, that's, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live trying to suppress this anger in your life. He's saying, I've got a plan that's going to change the game and change your life. Because you know that before we ever get to murder, maybe we deal with a little bit of anger in our lives. And I think most of us would realize that, um, that, 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 that anger, that the basis of anger really is, is fear. It's fear. Um, it's, I didn't get my way. I didn't, somebody upset me. Somebody didn't do what I want. I'm afraid I won't get. I'm, I'm afraid I won't receive. Uh, I, I'm afraid they're going to take advantage of me. I'm and, and we find out that this, this, this continual fear abiding in our hearts causes us then to seek to place the responsibility and the blame somewhere. And so if I can get angry at somebody, if I can blame her or I can blame him, then, right, then I don't have to take responsibility for it. And I've got all these unmet expectations. I've got, I've got to let somebody know how I feel. And so I'm going to, I'm going to have anger and I may not murder them but I may talk about them or I may express my frustration. Has anybody ever just looked at somebody and just said, that's just an angry person. They're just, that's, just a, that's just a little angry man right there. You know what I mean? They just, they just walk around. They carry this anger and this angst in them. And, and you know what? God says, I love you too much for you to have to live that kind of a life. You don't have to go around doing that. He's saying that, you know, just because you don't go out and murder doesn't mean that there's not something wrong with your heart. Jesus is saying that you carrying anger in your heart, and we know that the purpose of anger is to hurt people, right? I mean, that, that we, when we get angry, when we used to, when we give expression to our anger, you know, I used to think that if you didn't give expression to your anger, your head would blow up or something. You, go, you know, you can't, but no, that's not true. The more that we feed it, the more that we give into it, Okay, the, the, the bigger it grows in our lives. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, wait a minute. Why would you want to carry that seething pot of death around? Because the, it doesn't really hurt people as much as it hurts you. Do you realize that this morning? That you may hurt people. That's what anger does. It hurts people. But, but ultimately, it's hurting you the most. And Jesus is saying, I've got a better way for you to live. You, you can live in a way that you don't have to think about murder, but you don't have to have anger in your heart either. You can be free from that. You can, you can have a heart that is transformed, that is changed so that anger doesn't control your life because the only thing our lives were meant to be controlled by was God and to live in his atmosphere of love. Anybody know that this morning? Can you say Amen. Amen. He says, you get to live a better life. Then he goes to a second thing. The second thing he goes to is he starts talking about sex, okay? I said sex in church, all right? So just get over it, okay? I mean, you know, so <laughs> he says, uh, well, we don't need that much excitement from single people, all right? So that's right. All right. 
freedom team, I'd like you to be ready right here at the very beginning of church, right? So, but I, I, I appreciate the support anyhow there. We'll uh, see you in the office tomorrow, right, to uh, have a counseling appointment. But Jesus says this in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. So don't be out committing adultery. Don't commit the act of adultery. But Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you, okay, say it with me. He's changing the game. He's a game changer. He says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman, and I would go ahead and say that, that, that uh, um, for a woman who looks at a man, to lust for her has already com- committed adultery in her heart, in your heart, his heart, her heart, their heart, your heart, right? You've committed adultery in your heart. And so what Jesus is saying, it's not just about the, it's not just about doing the act, okay? It's not just about following the law. As a matter of fact, what he's saying is, let's get the idea of laws out of our minds. Let's put law aside because law limits life. And Jesus is saying, I want you to have life without limits. I want you to have a limitless life, a full life, an abundant life. So just because you do not commit adultery doesn't mean you don't lust. Through the years, there have been many, many times when I've uh, counseled with people or talked with people and, and they're not out committing adultery, they're not actively engaged in pornography, but can I tell you that there's a seething, burning lust that's going on in their hearts. They're thinking about unrighteous things. They're thinking about sexual things outside of the context of of marriage, outside of of righteousness. And what they're doing is they're not committing acts of perversion, but they're carrying around a heart of perversion. And and, and isn't that frustrating To, to, to want to be one thing, but then carrying this heart of something else around with us. And Jesus looks at us and says, hey, you don't have to live that way. Matter of fact, he, he gets really, really specific about it. He says, um, as a matter of fact, if, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, you're touching what you shouldn't be touching, doing what you shouldn't be doing, cut your hand off, right? Can I, can I ask you a question today? Do you really think that it's Jesus's goal for us to be walking around as half-blind, lame people? I mean, is Jesus really saying, oh, if your eye offends you, pluck it out because, well, what about if your other eye offends you? Then you're just, you know? Jesus isn't saying, hey, hey, cut your one hand off, then cut your other hand off, and then cut your, no, Jesus isn't saying, don't, he, he's saying this, he's saying, hey, listen, why would you want to, to, to just have a checklist of don't look at this and don't think about this and, and don't, don't, certainly don't commit adultery and don't do this, he says, when you can, when those things are, and still leave those things in your heart. The scripture tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, God, is men think that it's the issues of the heart that give us life. And Jesus is saying, you can be free from lust. Amen. So some of you need to really be shouting amen now, right? Amen. We can be free from a perversion of heart. We can be free from the things that will, will limit our sight and limit our ability to reach out and help people. We can be free from the things that tear our lives down and filled with the things that build our lives up. Amen. I think that's good news today, folks. Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, you don't have to live that way anymore. 
His goal is for us to have hearts that value people not as objects for our pleasure or to satisfy our cravings, but to see them as people, valued, valuable people created by God with kingdom purpose in their lives. Wouldn't that be a great way to look at people? Wouldn't it be able to stay to see what can I get from them? What can I give to them? How can I help their life? How can I encourage them? Jesus goes on. He presses, he meddles just a little bit more. Okay, he gets into a touchy subject and he says, hey, some of you, some of you've got such perversion in your heart. Some of you've got this, 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 this heart that's all twisted up that you think it's okay just to go ahead and to, to divorce somebody for any reason. And Jesus gives the exception unless they commit adultery. But you know what he's really saying? He's saying, instead of getting to the place where we need to have divorce, where we need to cut off half of our bodies, where we need to go through, and folks, can I tell you this? I know that nobody ever gets married with the intention of divorce. The scripture says that if two be joined together, they become one. Divorce rips, it shreds hearts and lives. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Instead of ever coming to the place where divorce is a thought, why don't you let the presence of God come in and fix your heart? Let's get our lives right and we won't have to worry about the issues of divorce. Amen? He goes to a third thing. We won't spend a lot of time here, but he, he talks about words. He talks about oaths and swearing. And you can go and read this for yourself in verse, chapter 30, or in verse 33 and verse 34. But basically what he's saying is, hey, there are people that make these grand oaths and, and I'm going to do this and I swear by the God of heaven and I swear that I'm going to do this and I promise that I'm going to do this. And, and they make these big fancy statements and I'm going to do all these wonderful things to impress people. And God's saying, instead of trying to impress people, why don't you let the, your heart be so focused on God that you get your identity, that you get your affirmation, that you get all that you need from God first instead of seeking to get anything from people. Just let your yes be yes. Just let your no be no. Just, let your, just, just, just be truthful. Be people of character. Be people of integrity. Amen? Amen. He goes on to a fourth thing. He talks about personal injury. Pretty interesting here. He goes, he says this in verse 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, he's changing the game, right? He says, but I tell you um, to not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your coat then, or your, your tunic, let him have your coat also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, then go with him too. Give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow. Do not turn away. Wow. He, he's going down the checklist here, right? He's saying, you, oh, the Old Testament said, the law said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, if we live by that, we end up being toothless, eyeless people, right? And that's not what God wants. Okay, God's saying, I've got a better plan for you. He's saying, why, why would you want to do that? He goes, no. He goes, I say to you, I say to you, don't resist an evil person. I say to you that you, you can live in such a way that people don't control your life. Listen to this. We can live in such a way that people do not control our lives. 
that government people don't control our lives and bosses don't control our lives and spouses don't control our lives and enemies don't control our lives and circumstances don't control our lives. God controls our lives. And so he says, why don't you just put your trust in God instead of putting your trust in your own ability? I remember back in a college, and this would be Bible college, and um, playing uh, intramural basketball. And, um, and so I, I enjoyed basketball, enjoyed playing basketball, but uh, I, I can still remember this very well, that during one um, game, I uh, went in for a layup, and this guy fouled me, and kinda, I kind of pushed him, and when I pushed him, he reached out and he smacked me, hit me in the face. Everybody said, oh! Right. At Bible college, what kind of Christian is he? I'm just telling you, know, really. So, uh, so he smacks me, and in, in, in being the righteous man filled with the Holy Spirit that I am, I, I step up to him and I said, here you go, bud. I'm turning the other cheek. Did you hit this one? Then I'm going to crush you. <laughs> I just know Jesus was so proud of me. You know, <laughs> I was like, like, yeah, that's, 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 that's all you Yeah, turn the other cheek once, and then you get to kill them, right, you know? Now, be honest. How many people have thought that before? (laughs) Sure we have. I'll give you one cheek, then you get the 30, you know, the gun, right? (laughs) No, Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to live that way. You know, he says, "I'll, I'll carry, you know. The, the, the law back then was if the Romans who were oppressing the area, they came to you and said, oh, you got to carry my stuff, carry my bag. Legally, you had to carry it one mile. Jesus is saying, hey, just don't do the least. Don't do the, what's legal. Do the most. So I don't know about you, but I thought, yeah, I'd carry it. I'll carry it the second mile, Jesus. And when I get to the end of the second mile, I'm throwing it in the manure. I'm throwing it in the ditch. I'm, you know. And Jesus is saying, hey, wait a minute. Why would you let somebody else have that much control of your life? Why would you let that boss at your job, you get up tomorrow morning, you're heading to work, and all of a sudden, before you even get to work, you're already processing that, man, I can't believe, boy, if I would just give him a piece of my mind, I would, and Jesus is saying, why? Why would you choose to live that way when you can live in the kingdom? when you can live above those things, when you can live in the fullness of the Spirit. He says, when you don't have to give into those things. So my question is, should you always turn the other cheek? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Are we to never resist those who are evil? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. As a matter of fact, let me go ahead and say this. Abuse is never acceptable. Uh, abuse is never appropriate. I, I've heard people that say, well, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, he, this, this person's hurting me. They're beating me. They're doing this. And, 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 and I, I've just got to stick in there because I've got to be. You don't have to stick in there. No way. Sometimes appropriate boundaries are the most loving and healthy thing that you can do. But you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying you don't have to live by just what you feel and live just by what happens in your flesh. You can live with discernment that comes by the Holy Spirit so that you'll know the right actions to take, when to take them, and how to take them. Amen? Amen. Does that make more sense to us today? Sometimes we turn the other cheek. And sometimes, listen to this. Sometimes we turn the cheek more than once, okay? 
sometimes we don't let them hit us the first time because of the direction, because of the wisdom, because of the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Number five. You ready? Number five. Number five, right? There we go. Number five. He starts talking about, um, about enemies. Enemies. He says, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, what's he doing? He's changing the game, right? But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, and persecute you. He's saying, listen, if you, if you love your neighbors, you love your friends, you love the people that you get along with, and you hate the rest, then that's just like everybody else. There's nothing different about that kind of life. There's nothing different about that kind of lifestyle. He's saying, that's not what you're called to. That's not who you are. Again, Jesus is showing us that the only thing that gets to control our lives is his love and his presence, his counsel and his wisdom. In just a few weeks, we're going to do a series called Fix My Family, um, we originally had titled this, uh, this, um, st- this, this series, My Crazy Family, okay? Now, I know nobody here has got any crazy people in their family, right? How many people have crazy people in their family, okay? If you can't raise your hand, you know what they say, right? You may be the one, right? You mess up, right? So, every, we, all families are crazy, but can I tell you what Jesus is telling us here in, in whether it's our words, when he's talking about relationships with people, when he's, when he's talking about here that people about enemies, he's telling us that, that we can have a greater presence in us than any presence around us. That, that sound good this morning? That Jesus is saying that, that you may have enemies, but you have a God who's bigger than any enemy. Amen? I love this thought. Uh, there's an old statement that came from a uh, sermon many, many years ago that, where a guy said, he said, you know what? Your arms are too short to box with God. <laughs> Our enemy's arms are too short to box with God. If God is for us, who can be against us? So it comes down to a faith issue. Will I, trust, will I trust what's immediately impacting me, what I see, what I, what's, what's, what's threatening my paycheck? Will I, will I trust the, 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 the neighbor who's always, you know, will I put my trust in, the, in that neighbor that's always causing problems? Or will I put my trust in the Lord? Will I say, God, I trust you. God, I don't just trust what I feel. I don't trust what I see. I don't trust what's going on. God, I, I trust you. Because God, you're big enough to change circumstances and situations. Do we know? We, you all read the Bible, right? It's a good thing to do. But if we read the Bible, you know what we find out? We find out that time and time again, there have been enemies that have come against God and against God's people. We find that there were people that were thrown into lion's dens, but God delivered them and people that were thrown into fire and God delivered them and people that were, had problems and people that were crucified, but God brought them back to life because... God's bigger than any of our problems. He's bigger than any of the issues. He's bigger than any of our, of our enemies. He's bigger. And you know what? He's not only bigger, but he loves you. And he wants his bigness to live in you. He wants his presence to live in you. 
He wants his goodness to live in you. He wants his love to live in you. And sometimes in the midst of tough relationships, in the midst of of enemies, in the midst of conflicts, in the midst of difficulties, he wants to let his presence flow through you. Flow through you. That's what it's like to live in the kingdom. So let me, uh, let's, let's, Let's remember this. Let's remember what's his ultimate goal. That's that scripture that we started out with, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where it says, be perfect. You know what that word perfect really means? It, it, it means this. It means to be brought to the end, to be finished, to wanting nothing that's necessary for completeness. Listen, this is what God wants for your life. He wants there to be nothing lacking. He wants everything that he's begun in you to come to a place of of completion for it to for that work that he started and and maybe you're getting refined through some difficult times but God's saying hey these difficult times aren't going to last but you are because I'm going to be with you I'm going to be in you the word goes on and says this that which is perfect That which is filled with human integrity and virtue. And I love this. He says, full grown, adult, of full age, mature. You know what God's wanting to do in his people? He's wanting to fill us with his maturity. With the the Bible says this, that, that the man Christ Jesus would be formed in each of our lives. So that we can live lives that when something happens, the same reaction comes out of us as would have come out of Jesus. Because he's in us. He's with us. And he wants to work through us. So let me just ask you to do this this morning, would you please? Just just shut your eyes for a second. I'm going to ask us a couple questions.